Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 17. As Andy sang first, um, and as we've been studying uh, what harmony there is between that song and the message of Galatians that Christ is our living hope and uh, He is our only hope, and uh, that will continue to be stressed for us um, here this morning in Galatians chapter number 2, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 17, and I hope that as our attention and our focus is set upon Him, that you and I, our hearts will uh, be found in all of Him, and uh, that's the end goal, is that you and I would realize our humility and uh, realize His glory and recognize His glory as much as we can. But uh, if you found your place, I'd ask you this morning to stand. And uh, as we read the word of the Lord in honor and reference to it this morning. Galatians 2 and verse number 17, the Bible says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the songs that have been sung. Lord, thank you for the talents you've gifted people. Lord, that they're able to sing in a way that's pleasing to our ears. But God, we thank you most of all for the truth that's found in, in the song. And Lord, I pray now that as we look at your word, God, we know that is a, which we know is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that God, you would help us to hear what thus saith the Lord. God, help our focus and our attention to be set upon you. God, give us a hungering for the truth to know what your wisdom and your will is for our life. And God, I pray that you'd use me as a, this morning as an instrument, God, to... Uh, declare your truth and to help others, God, to live by it and to stand upon it. And God, for someone here today that's lost and undone without you, Lord, I pray for their salvation. God, that they would set their faith in Christ. And Lord, I know that if they do, that you will in no wise cast them out. But God, you will show mercy to anyone who comes to you for mercy. And Lord, help us to realize today that that's what we need more than anything else is mercy. And Father, we can never attain our salvation. We can never be good enough. But Lord, we need mercy from you. God, we know that it's available through your word. And God, I pray that you'd be with our Bible school this week. God, use it again as an instrument, God, to uh, proclaim truth. Lord, as we're able to minister to children that we may not be able to minister it to otherwise. God, I pray that they'd hear the gospel and hear it with clarity. Father, we love you today. We thank you for first loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. The characteristic of being stuck in your ways is not usually used as a positive thing. We use the phrase to describe someone who is unwilling to change and unwilling to admit that there might be a better way than their own. It defines someone who's not likely to experience personal growth. It almost implies arrogance as it would apply to someone who would think that their way is the best way and no one else could possibly offer an idea that's as good as their own. Closed-mindedness is even not a great thing for churches. It is a bad thing within churches in the sense that if we get to the point of thinking that the way that we operate, those things that are not scripturally mandated and 
that the way we do ministries, particular ministries, cannot be improved, that we might not can do those things better, then we're not going to grow and we're not going to be as effective for the kingdom of God. But however, this morning, with that being said, and that being at the forefront of our mind, according to Galatians, closed-mindedness is not always a bad thing. In fact, God gives you and I full permission to be closed-minded about one thing, and that is the gospel. You can be closed-minded this morning about the way of salvation. You see, that's what got the believers in Galatia in trouble. They were a little bit too open-minded about the gospel. These false teachers remind you again, these false teachers, according to chapter number 1, came into this region, began to say this, teach this perverted gospel, which Paul calls it, in chapter number 1, and unfortunately these believers were sold by this gospel. They were too open-minded. Instead of, instead of attacking it and dismissing it as false and perverted and corrupt, they began to receive it. And this gospel that was taught was that certain aspects of the law had to be kept to truly be saved, or that a Gentile had to become a Jew before they could actually be saved. This open-mindedness by the Galatians got them into trouble because, and caused them to follow a lie. And I assure you this morning that you and I throughout our lives will hear many other perverted gospels, other, as Paul calls them, another gospel, which are not truly other gospels. And you and I this morning, according to the word of the Lord, have full authority from God to be closed-minded towards those other gospels. When it comes to the gospel, you and I can remain stuck in our ways as long as our way is a true biblical gospel that we stand upon. And why is that true this morning? Well, we see in verse number 17, because Christ is not a minister of sin, Paul says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? You remember the salvation that Paul preached, the salvation that is true to the Word of God and that is true to what Jesus taught according to the Gospels is that we put our faith in Him and the fact that He bore our sin at Calvary. We place our faith in Him and then He gives His righteousness to you and I, and because of that, we are declared innocent. We are declared as not guilty. We are declared as cleared of all charges. We trust no aspect of works, but we wholly and completely lean upon Jesus Christ for our salvation. Now, the question that Paul's asking, and of course it's a rhetorical question, is, is it possible for us to be sinners while doing so? If our salvation is that we completely lean upon Jesus, I trust no aspect of works. I trust no aspect of my self-righteousness. I only trust Jesus. Is it possible to be a sinner? Is it possible to be led incorrectly by leaning on Jesus? You might ask the question, can we be in error while leaning on Christ by fully trusting Him? So we ask this question, is Christ the minister of sin. The word minister means it speaks of, in more literal sense, a waiter or a servant. Or, so it would speak to someone who runs an errand for someone else. So is Jesus a servant for sin? Would Jesus, is Jesus in any way a, someone who would assist sin? And this is the question is this, is Jesus an advocate for sin? Or could Jesus, would Jesus lead us 
into sin. And as Paul writes, the answer to that question is, God forbid. So what Paul was saying in terms that I could understand and hopefully you can understand is this, that you will never go wrong following Jesus Christ. If you're leaning upon Him for salvation, I can promise you this, Jesus Christ is not a minister of sin. He is not an advocate for sin. He will not lead you into sin. So for us to forsake the law for the sake of following Jesus Christ, Christ will not lead you wrong and Christ will not lead you into sin. And that's why we cannot go back to the law or we cannot in our day go to these other gospels that the world has generated and created and made up in their own minds. We cannot go to those things because when we do, we forsake Christ and we know that Christ is not a minister of sin. And if we, ever, if we ever embrace some other gospel, if we ever think, well, this is good, but I, this other way seems to make more sense to me, or this other way just is easier to live according to, or this other way is more fitting to my flesh, then in essence that's exactly what we're saying, that Christ is a minister of sin. But, of course, we know by God's Word He is not. He never could be. He is perfection. So we will not go wrong following Jesus. But also this morning we know that we can stay true to the gospel according to faith in Christ is because we would become transgressors to go back to the law. Paul says, if I build again the things which I destroyed in verse number 18, he says, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Instead of being correct, instead of these believers, for example, in Galatia, like Peter and some of these others, these uh, false teachers which were sharing this other gospel, instead of them moving back to the truth, instead of them being correct in what they were doing, of course they were in error. And so Paul says, if I was to go back, if I was to, if I was to start teaching and declaring the law once again, that I'm going to step into error. He says, I'm going to be breaking the law. I'm going to be going against God. Paul once sought righteousness through the law. If you know anything about Paul, that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, he kept the law about as much as anyone could. But then one day he met Jesus and all that changed. After Paul was converted in Acts 9, instead of trying to persecute the Christians. He preached Christ, the Bible says in the synagogues, that He is the Son of God. He no longer saw the law as a means of righteousness. He no longer saw His efforts as sufficient for Him to be saved and right and innocent before God. He now preached Jesus. He now understood after Acts 9 that righteousness could only come through faith in Jesus Christ. And by doing so, Paul began to destroy the idea that people can be made right through the law. And that's what he's referred to in verse 18. He says, if I go back to those things, to teaching a salvation by works, which I began to destroy when I was converted in Acts 9, that I'm going to be wrong. As someone said... Paul knew either he was wrong in leaving the law for Christ or he is, he is wrong now in leaving Christ for the law. And Paul said, I am wrong if I go back to the law. 
And he explains why in verse number 19. For if I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. The word dead speaks of separation. It means to be alienated from a thing and to be freed from all connection with it. So what Paul is saying in verse number 19 is that I'm no longer under the burden of the law. I'm no longer under its power and I'm no under, longer under the bondage that it placed upon my life. And why is that? It's not so that he can go do whatever he wants to do, but though that he has the freedom to live unto God. And verse number 20 is how that is. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no secret this morning that you and I cannot keep the law. Paul could not truly live unto God through the law because Paul could not fully keep the law. And you and I this morning cannot fully and truly live unto God through the law because you and I are going to fail the law. I know that through the Scriptures. You and I cannot keep the law perfectly. We constantly stood guilty before God because of the law. Because we couldn't live according to righteousness. We lie, we steal, we covet, we serve idols, we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. We failed God's law. So we had to be delivered from the law. Because under the system of it, we could never live for God. We only constantly failed. We only came short. But now with the new covenant, with justification by faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can live in a way that is pleasing to God. And how is that? Verse number 20. Because I am crucified with Christ. As one commentary said, a basic to an understanding of this verse is the meaning of union with Christ. Now, I have never been nailed to a cross. I have never been tried before civil and Righteous authority. So what does Paul mean? I am crucified with Christ. I wasn't. When Paul wrote this, he certainly had not been. He was not at, on the cross that day with Jesus. What does he mean? It's a spiritual union with Christ. Where we died with him. According to Romans 6, 6, it means that the old man died. The sinful man who can never keep the law died. Paul says, nevertheless, I live. But this new life I have is not, is not driven as it was before by my selfish desires, by my sinfulness, by my ungodliness. This new life I live is Christ living in me. Now understand that Paul is not preaching or teaching that we become robots, that we lose our personality in this union that we have with Christ. But what Paul was saying, that that old man that had no desire for God that, could, that only fell and came short, that was only in rebellion towards God, has died. The beautiful thing is that this new life that we have in Jesus is the, not the same manifestation of the old sinful self. It is Christ living in you and I. And that's why we can live for God now. That's why we can live unto God because it's not us at all. It's Christ living in us. But a good question of application this morning is, does your life look like Christ is living in you? 
Someone said Paul's former self, the person Paul was before he trusted Christ, with all of his sinful goals and proud, self-exalting desires, came to a decisive end. He died. Someone else said death with Christ ended Paul's enthronement of self. He yielded the throne of his life to another. And that's what it means by saying that we die, but we still live. But it's not us, but it's Christ living in us. Our life now is to be ruled by Christ. Our life is to be carried out in subjection to Him. And how often does our life not look like a reflection of His? How often does it not appear that He is living His life in us and through us? You say, how do I carry out this new life? He says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You and I have to live in constant faith of Christ. Our attention, our focus has to always be set on Him. Our faith has to be in Him, moment by moment and day by day, so that we can live this new life that we are enabled to live through the Spirit of God that indwells our heart. But I don't want you to miss the blessing that is given of the description of the Son of God at the end of verse number 20. That He loved you. Christ did not come to this earth because He owed us something, because we deserved something. The cross is the greatest manifestation and the clearest manifestation of the love of God. And then I love that it says, and he gave himself, makes it real personal, says for me. I told you that's the essence of the gospel. That where you and I were due death because that's the wages of our sin, where we had failed the law, where we rebelled against God, and we were due that penalty, eternal separation from God, Christ stood in our place and bore the wrath of God for you and I so that we could be saved, we could be forgiven, we could be declared justified, so that He took our sin, the consequences of it, the shame of it, and He gave us His righteousness. But then finally this morning, we stay true to the gospel, we uphold the gospel, we stand firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ because we must not reject God's grace. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. The word fr frustrate means to set aside, to make of no effect, to do away with, to disregard or to reject. So not to believe in Jesus. To think that there's some other way is to reject the kindness of God. It's to tell God that you don't want His gift. You know, a lot of times when people try to give us something We'll tell them, and, but we mean it in sincerity. We'll, just, we'll say something like, I, I just can't accept that. But I can tell you this this morning, that's something we can never tell God. If you want to be redeemed, if you want to enjoy eternal life, you cannot reject Jesus. And why is it such a big deal to frustrate the grace of God? Why is it that we cannot reject God's grace because if righteousness come by the law, 
if you and I could, be, could do enough, could uh, stay away from enough bad works, could stay faithful enough to the law to be saved, then Christ is dead in vain. Now imagine looking at God and telling Him that we did not need His Son, that we did not need the death of Christ, that I can do enough good things that, God, I appreciate your gesture, but I can take care of things. I can be good enough. I can, I can take care of this myself. Consider the blasphemy of such an objection by you and I. While you were yet a sinner and while you were still in rebellion toward God, He provided His Son to deliver you and restore you to Himself. He watched His Son be tormented at the hands of sinful men. He forsook His Son. He watched His Son be mocked by His own creatures. He saw the blood of His Son drip from His body, or pour rather from His body onto the earth, the ground that He had created. He heard His Son take His last breath. He endured His Son bearing the most gruesome pain possible. And how dare you and I look in the face of God and say, we don't need that. For us to follow salvation or to go after another, another gospel is to say and declare that very thing. How dare us laugh at the wisdom of God and say that there is another way. How can we act like we're smarter than God or try to tell the all-knowing one that Jesus did not need to die? And if you and I think that we can attain salvation in any other way, especially through keeping the law and through self-righteousness, then that's exactly what we're doing. We're committing one of the grossest acts possible. We're implying that God is foolish, that we know better that his, Jesus Christ didn't need to come. There was another way. But I assure you of this this morning. Christ did not die for nothing. Christ's death was not in vain. God's wisdom far exceeds our own. If He says that Jesus must have died for you and I to be forgiven of our sins, I can tell you with full confidence this morning that Jesus must have died to forgive us of our sins. And that's why we're unwilling to give up our hope in Jesus because He is not the minister of sin. We would be transgressing to do so because Christ is the new and living way and we cannot, we refuse this morning to reject God's kindness. So I'm going to tell you this, you can be stubborn about this one thing and that is that the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ. Justification only comes by Him. As someone has well said, Mark, if you want to come around and uh, prepare to lead us in a song, or Miss Tamara, if you want to come begin to play. As someone has well said, and that one reason why preaching is so ineffective is that it calls on men oftener to work for God than to behold God working for them. And I don't want to be guilty of this mistake this morning, which always leads to ineffective, or ineffective rather, and unbiblical preaching. So I want to focus your attention today on what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And true to the message found in Galatians, as someone wrote, the law commands us saying, do, try, behave. The gospel comforts us, declaring done, trust, and believe. If you all ask you to stand with me this morning.
I ask you to search your heart today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, hear the text. That Christ did not die in vain. You have no other way. If you've been converted this morning, then is your life as Paul described? Can you say that you, have cru- you are crucified? That your old sinful self, I know we don't live perfectly. I understand that. But the main motivation of our heart is not our old sinful self. It is Christ's life in us. Or you want to come and pray and ask God to help you to your life to be more clearly Him in you. That your life will be more of a reflection of Him than it is today. If He's dealt with your heart and you need to come pray in this immediate hour, I challenge you and encourage you to do so. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song of invitation. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.